With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Friday, the 9th of July. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. Allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, use your now TV outside the UK, get by, get past Brexit blockers. If you're from the UK but live elsewhere and you want to watch the Olympics, a Liberty Shield VPN will allow you to change your location and access the BBC iPlayer. BBC will have full, free coverage of the Olympics this year. So that can be worth your while. Check out libertyshield.com. Use the code EPLVPN. You get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, it's the big weekend. We have two major international finals taking place on Sunday. On Saturday night, there is the small matter of the third and fourth place playoff from the Copa America. It's Colombia versus Peru. It's 9 p.m. local time. I believe that's about 1 1 a.m. UK time. Um, Should be a decent game, but, you know, you're only really going to watch that if you're bored. McGregor Poirier is on at the same time. If you're looking for some sports to watch, I'd recommend watching that. Sunday, though. Sunday is the day. The Euros finish up with England versus Italy from Wembley, 8 p.m. kickoff. Should be a good game. Just to recap how these teams got there, Italy were in Group A. They started out, they played the opening game of the tournament, and they walloped Turkey 3-0. Demirel OG, Immobile, and Insigne with the goals. Then they beat Switzerland 3-0. Two from Locatelli, one from Immobile. Then they beat Wales. They rested pretty much everybody. Still comfortably won the game. Piscina 1-0. England, on the other hand, were in Group D. They beat Croatia 1-0 in their first game. Raheem Sterling scoring the only goal. A 0-0 draw with Scotland. Pretty intense game. The Scots very unlucky on the day. But 0-0 was absolutely a fine result for England. And then they went and beat the Czech Republic 1-0 in their final game. Again, Raheem Sterling, the man with the goal. Into the round of 16. Italy took on Austria. Beat them 2-1 after extra time. 0-0 at, at, at full time. Chiesa and Pessina put Italy 2-0 up. Kalidzic scored with about six minutes to go to make it a little bit edgy at the end. But Italy always looked in control. England played Germany. Again at Wembley. Again, Sterling opens the scoring. 
And then on 86 minutes, Harry Kane makes his first real contribution to the tournament, heading home Jack Grealish's cross. In the quarterfinals, Italy played Belgium, dominated the first half. Barella scores a great goal. Insigne scores a contender for goal of the tournament. Then they get a little bit sloppy in added time at the end of the first half. Doku goes over in the box under challenge from Di Lorenzo. Lukaku steps up and scored. Italy put on a masterclass in how to control and see out a game in the second half. Limited the Belgians to pot shots from distance, not a whole lot else. England, on the other hand, went and destroyed Ukraine. Ironically, playing their only game of these Euros away from Wembley in Rome. Kane scores after four minutes. Maguire after 46. Kane again after 50. And then Jordan Henderson completes the route on 63. England through comfortably. And we know what just happened in the semi-final. Italy drew 1-1 with Spain. And the game went to penalties. Chiesa had put them one up. Maratta made it one all. Locatelli missed. Advantage Spain. But Olmo missed. Back to the restart. Bellotti scores. Moreno scores. Benucci scores. Thiago scores. Bernadeschi scores. Alvaro Maratta misses. Hop, skip and a swipe of the right foot, and Jorginho sends Italy through to their fourth European Championship final. England took on Denmark, again at Wembley. Much bigger crowds, obviously, for these games than there had been for earlier games. 65,000 in attendance. Damsgaard puts the Danes 1-0 up on 30. Great free kick. You could question Pickford, but let's not. Simon Kerr put through his own net up. After good work from Saka and Kane. Ball across. Sterling is going to score. Kerr gets in front of him. He can do nothing else. He puts it into his own net. It's 1-1. Into injury time. No point in pretending otherwise. Raheem Sterling dives. Wins a penalty. Kane steps up. Misses the penalty. First to the rebound. Scores. Game over. England through their first ever European Championship final. So. After plenty of huff and puff, England have made a European Championship final. They've had some bad luck. They've had some bad teams over the years. You look back to 68, there was only four teams. England lost their semi-final against uh, Yugoslavia, beat the Soviet Union and finished in third place. England went into that tournament as the favourites, as the reigning World Cup champions. In 1980, they were placed in Group 2. They drew 1-1 with Belgium. They lost 1-0 to Italy. Tardelli with the goal on 79. A fairly tense affair. Not much to shout about. That was the first time they'd played Italy in this competition. Then they beat Spain 2-1, but they went out at the group stage. In 88, they didn't make it in, obviously, 72, 76, or 84. In 88, they lose to the Republic of Ireland. Ray Houghton with the header. Lose to the Netherlands. Lose to the Soviet Union. Go out, bottom of the group, no points. 92, they draw with Denmark. Draw with France. And lose to Sweden. They had been one of the favoured teams going into that competition, having finished third at the World Cup. With a little bit of chaos reigning in Germany, the Dutch falling over their own egos, 
and nothing much expected of anybody else. England were seen as a team that could win the competition. In the end, they went out in the group stage. In 96, football came home. The 96 Euros, in my view, is the best Euros. England started off with a 1-1 draw against Switzerland. Then they beat Scotland 2-0, a game most famous for the Paul Gascoigne goal. Then they walloped the Netherlands. 4-1, dominant, great performance. Played Spain in the quarterfinals. 0-0 draw, beat them 4-2 on penalties. Into the semi-finals, the furthest they'd ever been in this competition where it was more than four teams. A 1-1 draw with Spain, I'm sorry, with, with Germany, and then they lose 6-5 on penalties. Gareth Southgate misses, Andreas Müller steps up, buries it. Germany go through, Germany will go on to win the competition. In 2000, it's another group stage exit. Lose to Portugal, beat Germany, lose to Romania. In 2004, they lose to France, they beat Switzerland, they beat Croatia, and then they lose on penalties to Portugal in the quarterfinals. They don't qualify in 2008. In 2012, they beat, outside the draw with France, they beat Sweden, they beat Ukraine, they go out on penalties to Italy. That is the most comprehensive one-sided nil-nil draw you'll ever watch in your entire life. Andrea Pirlo put on a clinic in how to pass the football. Then he took on a, put on a clinic in how to have enormous brass testicles when you take a penalty. All the pressure on him, he steps up and penenkes it, makes a mockery of Joe Hart, who at the time was considered a top goalkeeper. Pirlo made him look very, very silly. Italy go through. Italy would go on and lose the final um, to... France that year. No, so Spain that year. Sorry, to Spain. They lost the final to France in 2000. Um, in 2016, they drew with Russia. They beat the Welsh. They drew with Slovakia. They were very, very poor. They lose 2-1 to Iceland in embarrassing fashion and go out. So that is the history of England at the Euros. And this time around, they've gotten to a final for the first time. They're at home. They're going to have that advantage. Everybody's fit. It's their opportunity. They may never get a better opportunity than this. Now, the Italians have great pedigree at this competition. In 68, they were also one of the four teams who qualified. They beat the Soviet Union on a coin toss, which is ridiculous, in their semi-final. They drew at Yugoslavia in the final, and then the game was played a replay. Rather than penalties, a replay. And Italy won 2-0. Beating the Yugoslav team at, in Rome. Only 32,000 at the game. It was played two days after the, the actual final itself, which is 68,000. So people obviously... Either didn't have the money or couldn't be bothered. So um, on to 80. They're in group uh, Group B with England. Um, Christ, I've lost my train of thought here. Okay, they they drew with Spain, 0-0. They beat England 1-0, Tardelli scores. They draw with Belgium. Into the third place playoff they go. 
they draw 1-1 with the Czechs and beat them. Oh, sorry, and lose on penalties. So they end up finishing fourth. In 88, they finished second in the group behind West Germany. They drew at West Germany. They beat Spain. They beat Denmark. And then they went out in the semifinals to the Soviet Union, who would lose the final, obviously, to the Netherlands. In 96, it was a bit of a disaster for them. They beat Russia, then lost to the Czechs, drew with Germany, went out at the group stage. In 2000, they topped the group. They beat Italy. Sorry, they beat Turkey 2-1. They beat Belgium 2-0. They beat Sweden 2-1. They beat Romania 2-0 in the quarterfinals. They beat the Dutch on penalties 3-1 after a 0-0 draw in the semifinals. And then they lose to the Golden Goal in the 2000 European Championship final. France beat them 2-1. They were 1-0 up for from 55 on. France scored in the 94th minute to send the game to extra time. And David Trezeguet scores the winner. Now that French team, remember, it, well, at the time was regarded as one of the all-time great international teams. They'd won the World Cup. They'd then gone on and won this. They were considered an all-time great team. So no real shame in losing to that team. Uh, 2004, they went out at the group stage, drew with Denmark, drew with Sweden, beat Bul- Bulgaria, went out on goal difference behind Sweden and Denmark. Disappointing for the Italians. 2008, they got destroyed by the Netherlands 3-0. They drew with Romania, and then they beat France 2-0 to get some revenge for what happened back in 2000. That sent France home. They would go on into the knockout phase and lose 4-2 on penalties to Spain after a 0-0 draw. In 2012, they drew 1-1 with Spain in the group. They drew 1-1 with Croatia, and then they beat Ireland 2-0, Cassano and Balotelli. Then they beat England in that penalty shootout. Then they beat Germany in the semi-final. The Mario Balotelli game, probably the highlight of Mario Balotelli's career. Um, the, is the, it's the second goal. One, the, both goals were great, but the second one is the, the long-range shot, as far as I can remember. Uh, he was unplayable in that game. And then they lost 4-0 to Spain. Again, that's probably the greatest international team ever. That team was capping three international tournaments in a row that they'd won uh never been done before not been done since might never be done again no shame in losing there and then in the last euros 2016 in their group they beat belgium 2-0 they beat sweden 1-0 then they lost 1-0 to ireland they did rest quite a few players in the knockout phase they beat spain 2-0 and in the quarterfinals, they lost to the Germans on penalties. One of those penalty shootouts that goes on too long. Nine players took penalties on each side. You had three misses for the Germans. Muller, Osel, and Schweinsteiger all missing. Four misses for the Italians. Zaza, that was the one where he did the silly little shuffle, wasn't it? Uh, Graziano Pelle, Bonucci, and then Matteo Darmian, unfortunately, misses the deciding penalty kick. But that's their history. And now they're through to their fourth final. They've won one and lost two. The two they've lost are to two of the best international teams ever. England aren't one of the best international teams ever. So we should be clear on that. But they do have quality players. They are at home. They do have that advantage. Like I said earlier, they're fully fit. Italy, we know Spinozola's out. There are doubts over Chiesa. 
Don't know if he's going to be available. Yesterday, I did a combined 11 of the four semi-finalists. Thought today I'd do a combined 11 of the two finalists. I think you have to go with Donnarumma and goal. I think he is comfortably the better option. Um, I'll go with the England fullbacks of Walker and Shaw. De Lorenzo's good. I think Walker's slightly better, even though I'm not a huge fan. I think he is slightly better. I would potentially pick Spinozola. No, I wouldn't. I'd pick Shaw regardless. And Shaw's definitely better than Emerson Palmieri. But it is the Italian centre-backs that we're picking. They're just a level above anything England have to offer in that position. In midfield, it's hard to look beyond the Italian midfield. It really is hard to look beyond it. Now, I would pref- in my club team, I would prefer to have Phillips than Jorginho because I prefer what Phillips offers me. However, Jorginho is the more talented player and he's been better in these Euros, though I think Phillips has been England's second best player. I think Jorginho is a contender for player of the tournament. Barella is unquestionably in. I think he's another contender for player of the tournament. And Verratti is the best midfielder either team have available. So I'll go all Italian in midfield. Barella, Jorginho and Verratti. Up front, I think it's Chiesa, Kane and Sterling, like I had yesterday. So you get four English players, seven Italians. Does lean in Italy's favour, obviously. However, if you then look at the bench options, I think that's where England have more strength. Outside of the starting 11s, I think England have better options off the bench. Now, Italy have Locatelli, quality player. Piscina, decent player. Cristante, decent player. Castrovelli, decent player. Bernadeschi, decent player. Berardi, very good player. Bellotti floats between decent and very good, just depends on the mood he takes. Good options, no question. But England have Sancho, Foden, Grealish, Henderson, Calvert-Lewin. England, Rashford, of course. England are fairly stocked in that regard as well. I think they've got better backup fullback options than Chilwell. Not a huge fan of Trippier, but I do like Chilwell. I think he's a, he's a solid player. Um, I think England have the slightly better squad. I think Italy have the better team. I do think Italy will win the game. I do think their path to the final will have given them loads of confidence in what they've overcome. They've already overcome Belgium, one of the favourites for the tournament. They've overcome Spain. Not the Spain of past years, but still Spain. Still Busquets. Still players that you respect highly. I think that will give the Italians a lot of belief that they can overcome England, who haven't beaten anybody they weren't expected to beat. And you can say Germany, but it's the worst German team in a decade. So I don't know that they count. If we look at a historical choice, because I like to do these things, an all-time 11 between Italy and England, I think that I think my team there would lean much more heavily to Italy than, than the current team, because... Buffon would be the goalkeeper. Bergami would be centre-back. Sorry, would be right-back. Maldini would be left-back. Baresi and Nesta would be the two centre-backs. And I don't think England have ever had anybody to touch any of these. Ashley Cole, I think, is the best English left-back ever. He's not Maldini. 
I, I love Tony Adams. I loved Saul Campbell. They're the two best English centre-backs that I've seen. They're not Nesta. They're not Baresi. No English right-back has come close to to Bergamy. Not in my lifetime, anyway. Not Paul Parker. Not Rob Jones, as good as he was. Certainly not Gary Neville. And not Kyle Walker or Kieran Trippier. Trent could get there. He's not in the squad. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, in midfield, England would have a little bit of a foothold in that I would pick Gerrard on the right. I'm, mm, I might play a midfield three of Gerrard on the right of it, a la Barella in this tournament. Albertini as my sitting midfielder, a la Jorginho. And then I think I'd go Paul Scholes in the Verratti role. I think I'd get nice balance there, so I'd have my two English players there. But up front, I mean, I'm obviously taking Baggio because he's Baggio. I'm taking Del Piero. Again, you know, he's Del Piero. I might consider Michael Owen. Of the players I've seen, now this is obviously people can go back further, but I might consider Michael Owen. So they will be eight to three. I would say England have had better number nines than Italy. And I'll take Gerard and I'll take Scholes. But that's it. So I'd have eight to three in England's favour. Uh, or in, in Italy's favour, rather. And like I said, I am picking Italy to win. I think it'll be a good game. I think it'll be a close game. I'm going to say Italy win 2-1. I'm going to say Italy go 2-0 up. England fight back, get a goal, and we hear all about how heroic they were. So that's my prediction for the European Championship final. Moving on to the Copa America. Again, this game is at 1 a.m., local time as in sorry 9 p.m local time or 8 p.m local time it could be 1 a.m uk time uh sunday night into monday morning should be a decent game argentina versus brazil generally is so their competition obviously they renamed it so it was meant to be copa america 2020 they re renamed it to copa america 2021 because they weren't cheap and didn't you know want to stick with all the branding that they'd done up Originally, the competition was meant to take place in Colombia and Argentina. Uh, because of the political protests in Colombia, it got removed. And then Argentina, because of COVID, it was moved to Brazil, which you know is rampant with COVID itself. Ten teams split into two groups of five. Zone A, or the South Zone, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Chile and Bolivia. Argentina beat Chile. Sorry, they drew with Chile 1-1, they beat Uruguay 1-0, they beat Paraguay 1-0, and they beat Bolivia 4-1. So four wins, four games, three wins, one draw, top of their group, through they go, no real hassle, nothing to worry about. Brazil, in the other group, the Northern Zone, um, beat Venezuela 3-0, beat Peru 4-0, beat Colombia 2-1. And then drew 1-1 with Ecuador. So, like Argentina, played for 1-3, drew 1. Now, they scored 10 
in comparison to Argentina seven, but both teams conceded two. You would I would argue that Brazil had an easier group than the Argies. I would say Uruguay and Chile are better than anybody in that other group. I think Colombia are decent. Obviously, Peru had a good competition. That's why they're in the third and fourth place playoff. In the quarterfinals, Argentina beat Ecuador 3-0. Brazil beat Chile 1-0. Brazil weren't particularly impressive. Lucas Poqueta scored. He's had a really good season for Leon. I'd be surprised if he does more than one, one more year at Leon. Um, but the Argies look good against Ecuador. I say this having watched extensive highlights, not having bothered to watch too many of the games. Uh, in the semi-finals, Paqueta again scored the only goal of the game as Brazil beat Peru 1-0. Argentina needed penalties to beat Colombia a 1-1 draw. 3-2 win on penalties. So through they come into the final. Now, we've talked before about Messi. This is probably his last real opportunity to win an international tournament. The next Copa won't be for another three years. He may well still be playing. He certainly won't be at the same level he is now. I wouldn't give Argentina much much of a chance at the next World Cup. Um, not under Scaloni, for sure. Not if he's still playing Otamendi, who's a train wreck. I think the Otamendi factor gives Brazil the upper hand here. I just think he's so poor. But to do the same as I did with the uh, the Euro final, to pick a an 11 between the teams, there's no question that Argentina have the best goal, have the, sorry, there's no question that Brazil have the best goalkeeper in Alisson Becker. You can make an argument over who's the second best. Is it Emmy Martinez or Ederson? But Alisson Becker is the best goalkeeper in the competition, let alone in this game. So Alisson will be the goalkeeper. I'm not massively keen on any of the right-back options for either team. Danilo isn't particularly good. Montiel, I mean, Montiel is probably the best, but he's not necessarily first choice for Argentina. We may have to play a back three here. That's what I'm thinking. We may have to play a back three. So I'm going to go Marquinhos. Despite the fact he's years past his best, we'll put Thiago Silva in. And as the third one, I know he's injured. I don't think he's going to play the final. Christian Romero. Um, we'll go Christian Romero. Given... The next best centre-back, in my view, is probably Eder Militao. If Romero doesn't play, consider Militao the, the stand-in. Um, we'll go with the three-box three that City played this year. So, the holding midfielders, I'm going Fabinho and Casemiro. I know Fabinho's not an every-game starter for them, but after Casemiro, he is the best defensive midfielder. In, that, in the competition. I think he might be as good as Casemiro, just in a different way. But those two together are brilliant. So I'll go with those two sitting and holding. Two attacking midfielders. I'll go with Messi as an attacking midfielder 
rather than as a front three player. And I think based on form, you have to go Lucas Poqueta. I think he has to be the one. In the front three, there's no question that Tara Martinez is in. Neymar is obviously in. Bobby Firmino would be the other one, but he's not playing particularly well. Vinicius is the most talented. He's not playing. I don't want to pick Richarlison, so I'm not going to. Um, I'm going to pick Nicolas Gonzalez because I get balanced then. I can play him on the right, Martinez through the middle, and Neymar off the left. Messi and Paqueta as the two. Fab and Casemiro as the two. Back three. I think I'm fine with that. Heavily Brazilian influence. Heavily Brazilian. Um, though, you know, two Argies up front, one in defence, one in midfield. F- again, 7-4, similar to uh, how it worked out with the, with the England-Italy one. Um, to do a historical one, need a piece of paper. I would say, I would say I would actually go with Allison as the goalkeeper. I was never a big fan of Taffarel or Dida. Sergio Goicochea didn't have the overall career. It's obviously incredible in the World Cup in 90, but he didn't have the, the greatest career. Nadu Pompeo, not for me. I, I will go Alison Becker. Left back will obviously be Roberto Carlos. Right back will be Javier Zanetti. Centre backs, Aldair has to be one. Now, I didn't see Passarella play other than, you know, video footage games I, I was able to find later. Um, but everybody always says he's the, the best South American defender that they've ever seen. Only 5'8", but an absolute monstrous defender. Um, can play left back as well. Scored a ton of goals. Captain the team that won the 78 World Cup. I think I have to go Passarella. Two-time World Cup winner as well. If I went with someone that I'd seen, I'd probably go Walter Samuel. So it would be an RG anyway. Um, In midfield, again, we're going with a box midfield because it's my team and that's what I want to do. Uh, Fernando Redondo would absolutely walk into any team I'm picking. Next to him, it's not ideal. You might not get the best of him. I'm just going to pick Juan Raquel May. Um, I've got Ronaldinho. And Maradona as my attacking midfielders. Best of luck sharing that football. And then Messi. 
and or nine the real Ronaldo up front. So one, two, three, four, five Brazilian six Argies. Historically, that's what I would go with. Anyway, that's enough of that. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we don't have much news. It's just the gossip. So see you in a minute. Right, welcome back. I forgot to make a prediction before the break. I'm going to say, allowing my my heart to overrule my head, I'm going to say Argentina win. I, I want to see Messi win a major international tournament. Um, and I've always had a fondness for, for Argentina over Brazil. Um, I, just something about the Brazilian players that they're a little too flaky at times. Not all of them, obviously, but there's just some of them. Whereas the Argies, I think you can, I can relate a little bit more to them. Um, I I think I'm going to revisit my team, though. And just because I adore him more than most people, I'm going to put Mascherano in for Raquel May. I know Raquel May was insanely good. But in the midfield, too, not really. So I'm going to play Mascherano and Redondo as my two. It's my team. I'll do what I want. That's my midfield, too. Um yeah, I'm going to say Argentina to win 2-1. Neymar the villain, Messi the hero. Uh, I think it's set up for him. I think it's set up for him. Hopefully, hopefully he pulls it off because it would be fantastic to see Messi finally win a major international tournament. Um, right, we just have the gossip left. There's not a whole bunch of much. There's no real news. There's been no transfers confirmed. Michael Lise... The only Premier League transfer confirmed yesterday. Uh, nothing on Wednesday. Junior Firpo and uh, Enoch Mwepa on uh, Tuesday. Nothing Monday. Yeah, it's it's been a very, very, very quiet week so far transfer-wise. Hopefully things pick up over the weekend. Obviously, once these competitions are over, I think we'll see more and more movement. I am expecting quite a busy transfer window because we had such a quiet January and last summer was so short we didn't have the usual amount of movement that we would have I'm expecting more in this window um anyway Liverpool have made an approach for Wolves and Spain winger Adama Traore no they haven't that's from Football Insider so put it in the bin it's garbage Hector Bellerin wants to quit Arsenal and join Inter Milan the Spanish fullback has been linked away a link moves away from the Emirates and Paris Saint-Germain were mentioned previously as a destination. Now, obviously, this is 2 plus 2 equals 5. They, he was linked to Paris Saint-Germain. They've signed Hakimi. That leaves uh, Inter Milan needing a right wing back. Let's remember, Inter Milan are broke. They don't have the money to do it, so no chance. The main reason he wanted to leave Arsenal anyway was to go back to Spain, so that wouldn't solve that problem for him. Sergio Ramos turned down offers from Arsenal and Man City before joining Paris Saint-Germain on a free transfer. I would have doubts that he turned down offers from both. I may, I Maybe he had an offer from Arsenal. I don't think he would have had an offer from City. I don't think City would do that. Um, Leicester, Inter Milan and AC Milan have all expressed interest in Phil Coutinho. 
can't really see him fitting in that Leicester team unless Madison is going. Madison is going. He's likely going to Arsenal. Um, that's the only way I could see Coutinho fitting. I want to see Coutinho go and play for AC Milan. Now, he's been at Inter before, obviously, and with Ericsson potentially having to retire, we, we don't yet know. Um, it would make sense, I suppose, that he could go there. But I, I think AC Milan is where I want to see him. He'd look, he would look good in that in the red and black. Wouldn't he look good? Think of it. Coutinho in that red and black would look really, really good. Um, it would suit him down to the ground. Netherlands forward Memphis Depay accepted a 30% pay cut. Has accepted a 30% pay cut just three weeks after joining Barca as the club need to reduce costs in order to comply with La Liga's salary cap. I don't believe this for one second. What they may be doing is paying him out a bunch of his contract in, you know, in a, in a bonus, but he's not taking less money. He, if he'd wanted to do that, he would have gone somewhere else. Everton will only listen to permanent offers from Moise Keane, who spent last season on loan at Paris Saint-Germain. I've been saying they need to keep him. They should just keep him. They need an extra striker. They've got Calvert-Lewin. They've got Richarlison. Having him, you have three really, really good young strikers. I think Calvert-Lewin and Keane can play together as a two. I know Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison can play together as a two. And I would bet that Keane and Richarlison can play together as a two. So you, you could get through with that absolutely no problem. Uh, West Ham faced competition for Roma goalkeeper Robin Olsen with Atletico Madrid and Lille both keen. Now, Atletico Madrid will be looking for a backup. Lille could be looking for a starter. I don't know if they signed anyone to replace Mike Mannion, but um, I don't think he's the upgrade that West Ham are looking for, to be honest. Um, he had a decent... Decent loan spell at Everton, and he was pretty good in the Euros, but I think West Ham can do better. Paris Saint-Germain believe they can land Paul Pogba for a cut price 50 million as they plot a raid for the 28-year-old Manchester United and France midfielder. I don't believe that to be true. Former Manchester United boss Louis van Gaal is expected to take over from Frank de Boer as the Netherlands coach. Van Gaal is almost 70. Isn't there somebody else that they could go to? I mean, he's 70 next month. He's been he's been out of the game since leaving United. Let him let him retire. He's been out of the game five years. Just let him retire. Louis van Gaal's time has come and gone. He was an incredible manager back in the day. He's not anymore. The other name I saw was Giovanni van Bronckhorst. He did really well at Feyenoord. Left them under rumours he was joining the City group. That never came to anything. He ended up going to China where he failed. He moved home saying he was moving home to look to stay, be around his family or whatever. But it was because he failed. They let him go more than anything. Um, he'd be an interesting choice. I saw the third option listed as it could be an, a foreign manager. Um, I don't know that the Netherlands have had a foreign manager that I can remember. Um, De Boer, Koeman, Advocat, Blind, Hiddink, Van Hal, Van Marwick, Van Basten. The last foreign manager to manage the Netherlands was Ernst Happel. Back in 77, 78. He was a great manager. 
He brought Austria to third in the World Cup, uh, managed Feyenoord, won, had success there, had success at Club Bruges, success at Hamburg. He was a great manager, but he wouldn't have been... He was there for a year. He only managed them really in the World Cup, got them to the final. But that's the last time they had a foreign manager, 78. So I don't really see it happening, if I'm being honest. I think more likely they go Van Hal and then maybe maybe for to get go for him to get them to the World Cup and then maybe it's Van Bronckhorst who serves as his assistant or something in the in the interim. That's my guess. Um but I think they should let Van Hal retire. Ali Giroud is on the verge of signing a two-year contract with AC Milan. So there's been some rumours on this that basically he thought he was on a free this summer. Chelsea had told him they were going to let him go on a free. Then they triggered the added year in his contract without telling him. And it apparently caused a bit of a falling out. Um, and then they've agreed to let him go for like two million or something. So petty from Chelsea. Really petty. Tottenham are considering a bid for a highly rated... Wolfsburg defender Maxence Lacroix, the 21-year-old Frenchman, joined the Bundesliga side last summer and has been likened to Rio Ferdinand. He hasn't been likened to Rio Ferdinand by anybody who's seen him play. This is from something called The Boot Room, which I've never heard of before. It seems that BBC are getting desperate for sources of news, but I'm not, I've never heard of this website before. TBRfootball.com. I will have to look into that a little bit more. See what they're see what they're made of. Could be interesting. Anyway, Manchester United winger Tahit Chong is nearing a deal to join Birmingham on loan. Um, the 21-year-old has been out on loan the last couple of years at Club Bruges and Werder Bremen. Wasn't particularly good at Bremen last season. Wasn't particularly good at all. Um, Juventus right back. The Neo revealed he would like Gabi Jesus to join him in Turin with 24-year-old but linked to the Serie A side. I think he stays at City for another year. Tottenham leads and Leicester target Mikel Damsgaard is set to become a Premier League player next season with the Denmark Stars agent in talks with a number of Premier League cl- uh, clubs. Sampdoria president Massimo Ferrero says the Ford has increased in value following impressive performances at the Euros. That's why, as good as I think he can be and as impressed as I was with him, I wouldn't sign him right now because his value is going to be falsely inflated. Everton boss Rafa Benitez is keen to take Clement Langley to to the club from Barcelona. No, he's not. Rafa can spot a centre-back. He knows that that is a spoofer. Um... Tottenham are the front runners to sign Bologna and Japan defender Takahiro Tamayuso. This is from Football Insider again, a week behind everybody else on this news. Leeds are trying to sign Leon and Ivory Coast defender Maxwell Cornett. He can also play as a, as a winger. He's a good player, versatile player, which is what Bielsa likes. Uh, the Athletic claim that Leeds also would like Ryan Kent from Rangers. Interesting. Jurgen Klopp has has told his Anfield bosses the three players he wants this summer, including France winger Kingsley Coleman. The Bayern star would cost the Reds up to 86 million. Yeah, this is from 
the overnight sport reporter at the Daily Mirror. So I am going to suggest that this is an absolute trash. Um, apparently, the other players he wants are Yuri Tielemans and Renato Sanchez. I can believe that they've been mentioned. I don't know if he'd have mentioned them, but I can believe Liverpool have looked at them for sure. Um, I would imagine they kicked the tyres on Coleman when it became clear he wants to leave Bayern, but there's not a hope anyone will pay £86 million for him. Uh, Liverpool are also chasing Netherlands international Daniel Malin after 22-year-old Sean at Euro 2020. That is believed to be true. Uh, I think he'd be a good signing. And finally, Liverpool are preparing a bid for Atletico Madrid's Spain midfielder, Saul. This, this is... If Liverpool sign him, I'm just warning you now, I'm doing an entire hour on him. I'm going to do the whole hour on him. No, no gossip. Don't care what else has happened. I'm doing an hour on him. And I will explain to you in painstakingly detailed analysis why he is one of, if not the best, all-round midfielders in world football. That one I really want to see happen. Anyway, that's me for today. Take care of yourselves. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the football. Let's go, Italy. Let's go.
Podcast Network.